The following message is from the 2014 IBCD Summer Institute, Making Peace with the Past. Lord, I'm so thankful that we have a group of ladies here tonight who want to learn about how to help children and how to help women with this very difficult problem. And I do pray for grace for the hearers and grace for the speakers. speaker, and we do ask you give wisdom through your scripture. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Okay, my verse to start off with is, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So we're talking about people who are poor in spirit, have had this issue come into their lives. The statistics, as you know, statistics are variable, but some I have found say, that about one in six boys endure sexual abuse by the age of 18. And that, they think, is probably underreported since boys don't want to talk about what has happened to them. Um, percentage of girls, some say, is one in four girls have had some form of inappropriate touching and some far worse. So that means if you take those statistics, you have an estimated of 60 million survivors of child abuse living in the U.S. So people you know, some of them are in our churches and some are in our Sunday school classes, some are in our Christian schools. Okay, In the church, we see priests abusing in the Catholic church, Okay, boys and girls. That makes the news. But the Protestant church has same issues. We have stories of things that happen in the church nursery, in the youth group, in a missionary boarding school. We have both boys and girls affected. Now our churches are beginning to do background checks on people who work in the nursery. We have people in the news who have been called out, church leaders who actually are abusing their position and taking advantage of girls and boys. That would be included in this category. We have stories in the news of strangers, you know, attacking small children, uh, in, like in San Diego, a child and going to the restroom by himself, and then, you know, there's somebody waiting. But more likely, it's going to be relatives. They say that 80% of these cases are abused by somebody they know. And that means it's going to be even more hidden. And we'll talk about some of those factors. Part of the problem you see with somebody you know is you're more than likely to interact with that person again, see that person again. So you've got, you have ongoing trauma for these children more than likely. I had a mother come in who said, I'm competing with my husband for sex with my, he's having sex with my daughter. And he and I are competing. She, she and I are competing for his attention. She was horrified. It's just horrible cases like that. It's like, oh, I can't, can't believe it. An older stepbrother abusing both a little sister and little brother. And the mother has to deal with it. And you see it even in marriage, which 
you might think, I don't know about that, but if I had a woman come in and say, I was raped by my husband. Okay, that means demand for sex, she says no, and he just physically overcomes her, and that happens in marriages sad or even sexual demands like I want you to do this so that the other thing and pressuring that would be a type of abuse and a book that talks about that a lot is this book a cry for justice how the evil of domestic abuse hides in your church I call this the angry book because this man and this woman who wrote it are angry they're like they're, it comes out on the pages you know smoking anger but you can see why because they've come across many cases where you've got domestic abuse in the church and people aren't handling it properly. So we've got all kinds of ages. You've got children going after other children. Adults we obviously think of. And even sex on, you know, children with each other. And I heard a story of a girl's slumber party where let's experiment on one another it's okay because we can stay pure it's just girls on girls okay that is a sexual abuse whoever's initiating is taking advantage of younger girls in that situation so there is a need there is a real need for women to be able to talk to girls on this subject can you imagine a little girl brought in by her mother to a pastor my daughter's been molested. Would you please talk to her? What's that little girl thinking? She's not going to open up. But if it's a motherly person, come sit down with me. Let's talk. She's more likely to talk to a, a female, okay? I think all of us should be aware of this, should be willing to talk to these children. And a little boy, too, might be more willing to talk to a mom-type person than pastor okay so women we need to get involved in counseling that's my plug here's what a letter came into dear abby just a few weeks ago dear abby a childhood friend of mine died from cervical cancer katie died because she wouldn't go to her OBGYN for an annual pap smear she was beautiful intelligent talented mother responsible in every other way but katie simply could not face a pelvic exam because throughout her childhood she'd been molested by her father. I know it's true because her father molested me too. And doctors told her if it had been caught in the early stages, her cancer would have been curable. But she hadn't been to see her OBGYN since her last child was born nine years before. Because of what her father did to her, she was unable to allow anyone other than her husband to touch her. My friend suffered. She fought to stay alive, but in the end, cancer took her. So we see it at the end of this letter says, please tell women to go to their OBGYN, otherwise the sexual predators win again. I think they should be held accountable for the deaths for which they are ultimately responsible. Sick of molesters. That's the person who wrote that. Okay. So to be able to help someone who's been abused sexually, we don't all have to have been abused ourselves, okay? And I, I've had a woman come into the counseling center and say, I want to talk to somebody who's a widow because I'm a widow and I need to talk to somebody who's gone through that. Okay, if we think of biblical counseling as sharing the word of God with people, we are all competent to counsel. 
And that's what we have in Romans 15, 14. Our verse, I am myself am satisfied about you, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, and able to instruct one another. So the person who can help is one who is trained, which I'm really glad you're here because this is part of training, isn't it? To learn about this issue. And go to, let's go to workshops. Let's ask others if we don't know how to encounter a case like this. You can find resources. That's what we're going to do tonight. We need to know good theology, though. Those who are counseling have to have a right view of God to be able to truly help. Otherwise, we're like every other talk therapist, right? And we all know the talk therapist will say, years and years of therapy will help you with this problem. And I know somebody who had 13 years of therapy before she encountered biblical counseling, which made all the difference. Okay, so we're going to get trained. We're going to have resources, learn resources to use. And one of them, which I'd like to focus on a lot tonight, is Rid of My Disgrace by Justin Holcomb and his wife. I love this book. Look, even the cover is black. It's got Rid of My Dis, all crossed out in red, and Grace is showing. Don't you love that? I'm going to refer to this book several times tonight. If we have the love of Christ, we can counsel. Okay? We can be Christ's arms to hug that woman who needs love and his hands to help the child and bring them along to understanding. It's 1 Thessalonians 5.14. Another one of our verses is, We urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. That's our calling as sisters in Christ, okay? That's what we're to do. But we need to talk a little bit about, first of all, protecting the women and the children. Now, some of you are experienced counselors, and you've had women come in talking about depression, bitterness, or fear. They might say, I have such a feeling of shame. I have guilt. I have chronic pain. I'm depressed. I'm having sexual problems with my spouse. Uh, I'm having nightmares. And sometimes a child will be brought in. Well, this child is behaving. He's wetting the bed again. You know, things. I'm having sleep problems. Or I have problems with retail therapy. You know what that is? Go to the mall and just spend like crazy. Okay, so these are, these are issues, of course, which the Bible talks about. But we're looking for what is the root. And the root of a lot of these behaviors is some secret in the past. And we've already had a session on abortion. That's something you might want to ask that person once you've talked to them for a while. You might want to be thinking, too. You might have to be ready to ask the hard question. And some will come in with drug abuse or alcohol. They might be cutting. They might have eating disorders. Maybe they're acting out sexually. Um, Talked to one girl who was prostituted herself because she just felt unclean. I'm already ruined, so I'll just go do that. And we're, we're thinking, okay, Lord, help me have wisdom. Help me to ask this question. And she, she may not be open right away. You, 
that's why we're patient in our counseling. And you might ask a question like this. This is Laura Hendrickson's suggestion. Has anything sexual happened to you which made you feel uncomfortable? So you're not asking him flat out. You're just, okay, this is a question. It's part of our uh, getting to know you. Would you like to share anything on that? She's, Laura Hendrickson recommends don't ask leading questions. You know, like, did something happen to you when you were a child? Okay, just a kind of a broad question. And some girls might not even recognize they've been sexually abused. Maybe they had a boyfriend who was 21. It's all so exciting to have a boyfriend 21, and she's 17 or 16, and he's taken advantage of her, really. So she's been mistreated as a younger person, and she might say, well, that was my first boyfriend, and it was so special, not realizing she was in a vulnerable position, and she has been taken advantage of. Okay, so you might have a little boy this is a situation I've heard about. A little boy says, Oh, Mommy, it's hard to go potty. Well, why is that? Well, so-and-so touched me. Okay, so little things like that, you, know, you could imagine the alarm of the mother. So, in this case, from what I heard, that this, these parents, when they found out what had happened, called the church leaders. Oh, no, we got this happening. And what what should happen? Church leaders recommended call the police. Okay, so we're going to spend a few minutes talking about being mandated reporters. When you hear something like this, you tell the police. They are the ones who are to do the investigation. And this is one thing. Cry for justice is really aggravated about is churches trying to do their own investigating. Okay, and they. Then they end up finding out it's, oh, it's our youth leader and, you know, we respect him and we can't just expose his sin because he's such a great youth leader. Things like that are happening in churches. But what you do is you tell the police. They are, uh, they are objective. They might bring in <coughs> child protective services or whatever. But your job is to protect the weak and the oppressed. And that's what the government's been given for. To protect the weak okay and in Proverbs 31 8 and 9 the king there is told open your mouth for the mute for the rights of all who are destitute and it's what is the reason that World Magazine did a long story in this issue from November 2nd 2013 going it alone Churches and Christian caregivers fail sex abuse victims when they don't step in to protect them and stop perpetrators for those very reasons I talked about. Story, long story, people giving their personal problems they've had with this. And the pastor of North Hills Community Church in Taylor, South Carolina is quoted in this article saying, when we refuse to report abuse, we are really hindering God's divine institution of carrying out his wrath against criminals. Okay, so there's no reason to feel guilty for calling in a suspected case of child abuse. And in fact, this map shows we are mandated reporters. Okay, clergy are mandated reporters as well as teachers. There's a map all over the U.S. of the laws that you will get in big trouble if you're not turning in what you hear of as abuse. 
and then it's their job to figure out if it really happened. Okay? We're not to do that research. We need to possibly convict the abuse, sorry, we might have to convince the abused person to say something. And sometimes it happens that finally a case gets reported because a person begins to realize what is they should be realizing ahead of time. We need to stop the abuse now before it can reach others. Otherwise, abuser can just, if you hush it up, they can just move on to the next church or the next Christian school, the next daycare center, and nobody's protected. And I had personal conversation with a woman who was listening to a talk on this subject, and she's crying in the back, like weeping, sobbing. And it was concerning a person that we had found out was a serial sexual abuser. She was standing in the back. She said later to me, he abused me 30 years ago. And she was so upset because if I had just said something then, the multiple women who were affected later would have been protected. So she felt that weight. And she said, I told my mom, she told me to be quiet. He's the pastor. Can't say anything. And she was crushed. So you would talk to a woman like that and you'd say, okay, do unto others as you would have others do to you. You're going to think about the effect. You might have to just talk them through it. Okay? You're protecting other people. Actually, you're going to help the police stop this person. And that's hard because if you think it's somebody that they know, okay, somebody perhaps in their church or it's Uncle Joe or it's my stepbrother, that's that's really difficult for these young people. And we have to report immediately because sometimes the offender destroys evidence or threatens the child into silence. So we need to develop a policy of protection in our churches. So if years ago when our church started, we had all kinds of people working in the church nursery. Well, then we decided this one teenage boy does not need to be in there. And he was furious. What? You've taken away my ministry? Yes. You're not going to be in the church nursery anymore. And fine. So now our churches are doing background checks. We make sure we have policies with children in Sunday school. You've got to have two adults in the classroom. We have to um, keep our doors open. And I teach Sunday school, so I know about that. All this stuff you have to really be careful and there's no right to privacy when you have a crime okay so just keep that in your mind these are crimes committed against children and one of my very first cases fresh freshly certified person was a mom and dad no longer married mom had a boyfriend that boyfriend abused the little girl that dad, can you imagine how he felt? The bio dad, you know, smoke coming out of his ears. And I went and spoke to this family, this little girl in the middle, these two loving parents, and said, okay, you were abused. It was not something you did. 
and I told her a passage from Deuteronomy 22. And if you think the Bible talks about abuse, yes, you know, it does, even sexual abuse. So in Deuteronomy chapter 22, this is the basis for teaching our children to cry out or to respond and when they get good, you know, bad touch. And you've heard that kind of teachings going on, which is necessary. So in Deuteronomy 22, we have a section of which is actually in this category of laws concerning sexual immorality. Verse 22 if a man is found lying with, okay, let's start in 23. If there's a betrothed virgin and a man meets her in the city and lies with her, then you shall bring them both out to the gate of that city. You shall stone them to death with stones. The young woman, because she did not cry for help, though she was in the city, and the man, because he violated his neighbor's wife, you shall purge the evil from your midst. But in 25, you have a different situation. But if in the open country a man meets a young woman who is betrothed and the man seizes her and lies with her, basically rapes her, then only the man who lay with her shall die. But you shall do nothing to the young woman. She has committed no offense punishable by death, for in this case is like that of a man attacking and murdering his neighbor because he met her in the open country and though the betrothed young woman cried for help, there was no one to rescue her. So we're teaching our children to cry out, basically, biblical. And this little girl hadn't really been taught. Well, she eventually told her mom, right? And that's why boyfriend's gone and father's furious. But this little girl, right away, she needed to know, you need to cry out and it's a good thing and you did follow the Bible and you told your mom, things like this, because they're already scared to death. Okay, well, I heard the story of a mother who taught her ch child about good touch, bad touch, and little girl says, well, that's happening right now. And exposed a case that mother had no idea until she told a, her daughter about how to protect yourself, and keep your private parts private, things like this. Now, churches also need to be aware that there are false allegations sometimes with abuse. No, sorry, we're going to first talk about dealing with abuse allegations. And this is, I put several verses in here about church leaders, and we've heard cases of church leaders protected because of their valuable ministry and not prosecuted and not even reported, okay? And that could even be the pastor and the church secretary, okay? She's an employee. He's making advances. She's afraid to say anything. It'll get, make him lose his job. And what do I do? But if we remember that God has very specific rules for who's qualified to be a church leader, and you're actually following God's rules when you report something like this happening. Need to really, I'm sorry, children can't be totally innocent about the dangers of the Internet. And you can be vague. Just say, you know, Mommy's going to be careful what you look at, and I'm going to put the computer in a place where I can see. Because you know there are people on the Internet trying to groom little girls and little boys, and so we're just going to put tight rein on that. Now, false allegations. Sometimes a very small percentage of kids are not being honest. And somebody wrote a follow-up letter in World Magazine about this article here. And he says, 
Too many children are exposed to graphic sexual material, and those who want attention or revenge are finding an accusation of inappropriate touching, or worse, against those they resent, is a sure way of getting it. And this happened to Jim in a counseling office. The teenage girl was so mad at her dad in front of Jim, she says, if you don't let me do what I want, I'm just going to call the police and tell them you've molested me. Of course, she said that in front of this, you know, other people. But it happens. And we may know of cases where fathers have gone to jail and have been innocently attacked by a rebellious child. But that's not our position to figure it out, okay? We're going to make sure it's reported. So... Now, we might have a counselee come speak to us about abuse. Um, I'm assuming this child has already reported what happened to the police. So I've had people come bring their children in and say, could you talk to my child? We've already gone through the CPS process, and I want that child to have biblical counseling. Okay, so this book, Rid of My Disgrace, has a section in the back, the appendix, what to say, what not to say in that. I know if I had this case coming into my office, I'm going to be really reading this. I've summarized a few things in here, but helpful material here. This uh, person may be pretty reluctant to talk, and I'm even talking about women who've had this in their past coming in with other presenting problems. So you don't want to force that person. You might realize that they may not feel safe talking to you. So you can be very matter-of-fact, and I've even told some counselees, you know, I've seen a lot of sin, and nothing's going to shock me. And then when they say something, you just, okay, don't show it, but okay, I know the depths of depravity are pretty massive, so I'm not just going to be horrified in my facial expression when I hear about your case. So... Some people, some women, might not want to talk. And you don't want to talk them out of a sense of violation. And this is Laura Hendrickson's really strong about this, saying, okay, we know something's really been, really bad has happened to you. And it could be, you know, on a wide spectrum of things. It could be my band teacher touched me, trying to show me how to, breathe, you know, and touch me in a place I felt uncomfortable. But it can affect us, can't it? The past can affect us. We need to deal with it in a biblical way. So when you're talking to this person, you want to gain his or her trust. When I say his, I'm talking about little children. You want to spend time listening. I totally goofed on the verse, so erase Ephesians 4.31 in your notes. Put in James 1.19. Okay. And that makes sense because it says, Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak. Okay, this is your motto. And I just wish I could get one lady back in the counseling office who, you know how when she's telling you her story, you're starting to think of the verses? And maybe you're taking notes. Okay, she needs to hear this and this and this and the other thing. This girl had told her story to just one other two other people, and I came in, and I didn't listen long enough to where when I was ready to give her instruction, she was not ready. She was very bruised and broken, and she never came back. 
I wish I could get her back and just say, I want to hear your story. Oh, just give me the pain. Tell me what it's like and how you feel now. It kept a secret for years. So I came in with my verses, and that was too soon for this person. So we're being very sensitive. We're thinking, this is very hard for this lady. And we're going to, Philippians 2 says, you know, in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Your job is to come alongside in that case. And this person may have a really hard time talking to you because they're, they've already been violated, perhaps by someone in authority, okay? Dad or pastor or youth leader. And I'm not really sure I trust you either as she's coming in, okay? Somebody made her come, perhaps. So we're, again, being very gentle. So as you got a reluctant counselee, you tell her, God is really pleased when we're honest. Okay, and I put a few verses here like Psalm 51, 6. The first part says, Behold, you delight in truth in the inward being. Do not lie to one another. It's from Colossians 3. Seeing that you put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self who is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. So be very patient. And Proverbs 15 28.8, the heart of the righteous ponders how to answer. But the mouth of the wicked pours out evil things. I'm going to be really careful. And as Lord, um, Martha told us in our women's pre-conference, love is patient, love is kind. I'm really being very patient and kind with this person. And you might ask an opening question. Don't say, and this is a recommendation of others, don't say, well, when did this happen and who did it? You're just like... Tell me, so tell me what happened in your situation. Let her tell as much as she wants. Okay, she may not want to report Uncle Joe. So you got to be really patient with her and kind. But you don't want to protect the one who is the abuser. We're called to give justice to the weak and fatherless. Maintain the right of the afflicted and the destitute. In Psalm 82, rescue the weak and the needy. Deliver them from the hand of the wicked. We're not in the job of protecting the guilty. And you can understand why there's reluctance there in some cases. You might have to be really careful whether, about the parents. Maybe they are part of the issue. And we've heard the story of Jill, right, who was attacked by her dad, but the mother didn't support the child. So, sometimes you're going to have to talk to the child and then let the parents know generally what you talked about. And I had a father bring a daughter in and he didn't sit in on the session, but I went and brought, he was not part of the problem, praise God. But I made sure he knew what we talked about because this was a father who cared very much for his daughter. I want her to get good counseling. And I've had mothers, too, really nervous about sending my child off into that room and close the door and what are they saying in there. So I almost always bring in the parents, okay, here's what we talked about and here's what you need to know of how to help them. These are the verses. Could you help with the memory verse? You know, let this be a joint effort because you're not the total control. You're not in control of this child. It's the parents who care. 
And some kids especially might just talk about a friend. I have a friend who had this happen to them. Not even being very open right there. Um, Laura Hendrickson suggests a phrase like this. Some kids know someone who uses sex wrongly. Do you know anyone like that? It's very sweet and gentle, and they may not even want to say anything, but you've brought it up so they can be ready. Oh, right, and we can use very creative means to communicate with a child, and some people are really experts at this. I mean, the people who do the investigating in the government know how to use drawings and toys and dolls and things. Okay, now let's have a look at the spiritual struggles of what has happened to an abused person. And I'm quoting from a website called netgrace.org. It says, there's no doubt that child abuse profoundly impacts a child's faith. This spiritual damage is often compounded by the inadequate response of the Christian community. As a result, many survivors of child abuse flee the church wanting nothing to do with God. Okay, so as Steve Weyer said in his book, we can either respond well or respond poorly to an abuse situation. Ed Welch, in this book, Shame Interrupted, says, speaking of the very first issue we're talking about now, shame, it's not a mirage, it is very real. A sexually violated woman feels contaminated by what has been done to her, and she really is contaminated. And he also says women who've been treated like objects experience humiliation and shame. All right, so some of the evidences of shame. We've all heard of Macbeth. And you remember the mom washes and washes and washes her hands because she has blood, you know, symbolic blood on her hands for what happened in that play. Well, this woman who feels violated and dirty, can you imagine them wanting to really wash all the time or take a shower? I just took a shower, but I, I need to take another shower. I feel, I feel dirty. So Bob Kellerman wrote a wonderful book, booklet, Sexual Abuse, Beauty for Ashes. And in this book, he deals significantly with the story of Tamar in 2 Samuel, chapter 13. Some of us are familiar with this story, but for those who aren't, Tamar was a beautiful daughter of King David, had a stepbrother who desired her, and his wicked friend helped him concoct a scheme to get Tamar into his bedroom alone. So that's what happened. She was trusting. Oh, this is my stepbrother. She went in, and I'm in Second Samuel 13, verse 10. Amnon said to Tamar, Bring the food into the chamber that I may eat from your hand. And Tamar took the cakes she had made and brought them into the chamber to Amnon, her brother. But when she brought them near to him to eat, he took hold of her and said to her, Come, lie with me, my sister. She answered him, No, my brother, do not violate me, for such a thing is not done in Israel. Do not do this outrageous thing. As for me, where could I carry my shame? Okay. 
As for you, you would be as one of the outrageous fools in Israel. Okay. Now, therefore, please speak to the king, for he will not withhold me from you. But he would not listen to her, and being stronger than she, he violated her and lay with her. So this is rape. Then Amnon hated her with a very great hatred, so that the hatred with which he hated her was greater than the love with which he had loved her. And Amnon said to her, Get up, go. But she said to him, No, my brother, for this wrong in sending me away is greater than the other that you did to me. But he would not listen to her. He called the young man who served him, saying, Put this woman out of my presence and bolt the door after her. Okay. Poor Tamar. Her story's there in the Bible. And it's a story you can use with a counselee who's been sexually violated. Because God knows what it what happened. And as we think about the shame she had, she mentions it in uh, verse... 18, she was wearing a long robe with sleeves, for thus were the virgin daughters of the king dressed. So his servant put her out and bolted the door after her, and Tamar put ashes on her head and tore the long robe that she wore, and she laid her hand on her head and went away, crying aloud as she went. Okay. Tragic story. has a tragic ending, actually, too. But as we think about a woman or a child who's been violated and they feel this shame, the biblical answer is Jesus took our shame on himself. Matthew 5.3 is blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And our primary verse is Hebrews 12.2. Some of you can probably quote it. We're looking to Jesus the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Here we talk about sin being put on the cross. Have you thought about putting shame on the cross? Shame that we feel. Christ has given his life for that. That gives relief. It's way better than 13 counseling sessions of therapy sessions. Okay, this is true relief because it's tr- based on the Bible. Now, some women will end up with guilt. Union Tribune, or local paper, mentions two women. A woman testifies in an assault case. This is like last week. A woman testified Wednesday she met a man on a Christian dating website. In 2012, she was intrigued by his looks, his education, and his faith. It seemed to me he was a godly man. He was focused on God, said the woman. After several weeks of communicating via the site, christianmingle.com, and then through texts and phone calls, the woman and the man met at her apartment. They had been watching a movie on TV when they started kissing on the couch, but the woman said she began to feel uncomfortable when the touching grew more aggressive. Told him we should slow down. She said it was going too fast. She told him repeatedly she did not want to have sex, and then he raped her. More than one. There are two women in this case. Okay. Now, if that woman came in to see you, you would probably be thinking in your mind, okay, I know what I need. I know something I need to tell her to change her behavior. Don't. Okay. Don't do like I did and talk about the behavior that led to 
this mistake or this abuse that happened to her, which was wrong. And that might be the woman who comes in and said, well, I was at a bar and, you know, just got too much to drink. And then, okay, we are taking, like Steve Byers said, the guilt that we're responsible for and then the abuse or the sexual abuse that happened separate. That person was separate what he did. Now, they may have guilt. Some women will have false guilt because they were told by Uncle Joe, he's guilty, I mean, it's poor Uncle Joe, but anyways, sub, <laughs> that, oh, you're so hot, I just couldn't stop myself. Or maybe she does know she made a naive choice. Maybe she felt like, well, if I hadn't been wearing that, or if I hadn't been so friendly, this wouldn't have happened. And Lauren Hendrickson said victims almost always feel they're responsible for what happened. Okay. So some will believe God is punishing them for being in a bar or, you know, inviting a man in my apartment. Okay, Psalm 25, verses 1 through 3. To you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. O my God, in you I trust. Let me not put, be put to shame. Let not my enemies exalt over me. Indeed, none who wait for you shall be put to shame. They'll be, they shall be ashamed for, who are wantonly treacherous. I recommend Psalm 26 as a study for that, the whole psalm. Some feel guilty because they got aroused. I mean, they had a natural physical reaction. And the God made our bodies to respond to stimulation. So you could teach a healthy view of sex. This is where a child might need to hear that from the beginning. You know, this is what God made sex for. This was wrong. Okay, teach a healthy view. And some will need to ask God's forgiveness, need to confess. And I'm talking about as we go along, okay? And First John 1 John 1.9 is the verse for confessing our sins and realizing that we've been washed, we're cleansed. Our sin, have, some have been against God, and some are sins against others. Like I didn't report it. I feel guilty. I'm weeping because I didn't report it back then. Okay, we can deal with your part, but God offers forgiveness. Jesus took our guilt away. Isaiah 6, 7, your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. Isaiah 61, 10, I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul will, shall exalt in my God, for he has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness. So when a little girl was brought into the office, by her mother saying, my daughter was abused by her dad, bio dad, talk to her. And I'm talking to this little girl about robes of righteousness. I said, so think of the most beautiful dress you can. Robes of righteousness, okay, pure, holy, you know, Christ's righteousness on you. Draw a picture. She drew a picture of this, you know, herself in a beautiful robe of righteousness. So that does a lot to relieve guilt, thinking, okay, I'm looked, I'm looked at as holy by God through what Christ has done for me. All right, some end up with memories that come in. I'm, I've talked to several women recently who said, I'm having nightmares. It's coming back to me what happened to me when I was young. 
and I'm thinking, oh, I feel so, I feel so bad for these ladies because this is like while they're sleeping and like, you know, it's hard to get the battle going because these are things coming in subconscious, but we can replace our thoughts. And some have said, well, as soon as I talked about my abuse, the, the nightmares went away. Praise God. So we're learning a lot of verses here. I've given you several about thinking, how we're replacing our thoughts. Okay, and one of my favorites, I don't think I included, was Hebrews 12.2. We're fixing our eyes on Jesus. You've heard that verse already tonight. But I like NIV because it says, I'm fixing my eyes on Jesus. I'm staring at Jesus. That's what I'm looking at. I'm not replaying these dreams over in my head again. I'm just, I'm fixing my eyes on Christ. That's profitable. That's what I should be thinking about. And Jesus can heal that part of our life. He heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. Psalm 147, verse 3. Others have a spiritual problem of fear. Fear, loss of trust. Okay? And it's even harder for those who've been abused by some person who uses scripture. You have to submit to me. I'm the authority over you. You have to do what I say. So, that person finds it very hard to trust God because they've heard scripture used to justify this horrible sin. So, sometimes you might be looking at fear and you might see obsessive compulsive behavior. Okay, We talked about the washing, but some of these people will do things to control their environment because when I was a little girl, I felt totally out of control here, I'm going to control things. Of course, that's, that's a myth, right? We're not in control. We think if we count how many times we wash our hands and we go through the routine, we're not really in control, okay? It's an illusion. But these are, real, these are problems resulting from a loss of control maybe as a child. And the question is, that they might be asking, who can keep me safe? I can keep myself safe by doing these things. I'm never going to drive at night because somebody might jump out at me at night. Okay, so I'm going to protect myself. But instead, we're thinking, I can trust God. Right? You see the difference? I might want to try hard to control my environment. Instead, I'm trusting God. I'm going to trust in the Lord with all my heart, not lean on my own understanding, Proverbs 3, 5. So, a lot of women will say, will go through grief, okay? It's a natural expectation that when a trusted father does something, or Uncle Joe, or my cousin, I am grieving because actually a sin has been committed, that's what Tamar was doing. She was crying aloud as she went, grieving. And it, we're going to have powerful, difficult emotions as a woman finally begins to talk to you. And so we're allowing time. We're allowing time for grief, and we're weeping with those who weep. I'm coming alongside. Just, I understand it's so hard. And some of them may be grieving because I can never see Daddy again. Or my favorite uncle who did so many nice things for me, he's no longer in my life. So there's a grief of a loss of relationship. But I've heard that a woman who hears these words is greatly helped, and that is, 
God hates what happened to you. Just that is enough for some people. God hates what happened to you. And we have to emphasize, he does hate injustice. You've got multiple of verses on that. And as Ernie Baker told us earlier, remember, who keeps the record books? It's God. Even if that person was out of my life, after a while they came out of my there's no way of finding that person again. But God executes justice. And as we grieve, we remember Jesus. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Okay, the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. I want to spend a few minutes talking about forgiveness. Um, I read a book, Forgiving Our Fathers and Mothers, by Leslie Leland Fields. Um, She wouldn't be ACBC type person, but she does talk about going through the process of forgiving her father for what he did to her and coming out with peace at the end. Okay, this is a story that might help. As we think about forgiveness, you don't want to, as Justin Holcomb says in Rid of My Disgrace, avoid a simplistic rush to forgiveness. And I've heard this is where secular counseling likes to go. Okay, you write a letter to this person and then you tear it up. or You uh, better go find that person and ask them for, to for, ask them to apologize. Yeah, thank you. That's right. Okay, so the counsel, though, in Holcomb's book is we don't have to bring this up, especially immediately. See if the counselee brings it up. Um, Some things to remember about forgiveness. It does not mean that you don't report the abuse. Okay, I forgave Pastor so-and-so, but that doesn't mean you don't report it. Okay? It also does not mean that Everything was okay because I forgave, then everything's okay, which is what this cry for justice is so vehemently against. We're going to say that it was, we can't give an excuse. And I think our verse from Luke 23:34, when Jesus says, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do, does not give any excuse to those people. Do you see? Forgiveness separate from justice on them from the Heavenly Father or even from the court system. Okay. And it doesn't mean because I forgive you means God has forgiven you. Okay. That's not what forgiveness is. We know that. Who can forgive but God alone? And without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. So don't think because you've forgiven somebody or you've dealt with it in your heart, that they're going to have to escape justice. And it does not always need to seek out the perpetrator. To have this attitude of forgiveness, it can happen without even any communication with that person. It's a complex, a very complex issue, forgiveness without talking to somebody. So I recommend to you the Peacemaker book and Jay Adams from Forgiven to Forgiving very good books about the type of forgiveness I'm talking about, attitude and heart toward God. Things like, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. 
Okay, things like this help. And there's a difference between transactional forgiveness and relational forgiveness. It's complex. We're um, going to move on from that. I recommend those books. But remember, the church is there to help. In a case of um, abuse in the family, you bring in the church, right? You report it, but then church discipline can be put upon that person. And we get reconciliation. We get, we get God's work on their heart spiritually for restoration, actually. And when we actually forgive, it's entrusting God to do the judging. First Peter 2, 21-23, and I'm not sure if I put that verse in there, but that's our verse. For to this you've been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. And we don't exact vengeance, Romans 12:19, but leave it to the wrath of God. For his written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. A lot of vengeance songs in country music. <laughs> okay, that's something else. Okay, so we even have Joseph's example. He said, do not fear, for am I in the place of God? All the bad things you did to me, which is a form of abuse, God's going to handle it. Okay, spend some time talking about what some people wear is the, instead of the scarlet A, which Hester Prynne had to wear in the scarlet letter, A stands for adultery. Okay, we don't want to label women in our church or even little children victims. Okay, no scarlet B on these people because they are forgiven in God's eyes. They're forgiven as they come to Christ. He's the one who took the mistakes, the uh, naivete, the um, lack of reporting, all this he took on himself. We start with the gospel, don't we, in biblical counseling. You need to understand where your relationship with God fits in here. And if you look through my notes, I tried not to use the word victim at all. <laughs> I quoted a few people. Okay, so I don't want to call somebody a victim, a child abuse victim. That's, I mean... Don't we all want to be new creatures in Christ? Instead of, oh, I'm a former alcoholic, or you know, this is my identity. We are new creatures in Christ. We can be new, and I'm basing that. for 2 Corinthians 5, 17 and 18. If anyone is in Christ, he's a new creature. The old has passed away. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. So, I'm just going to boast. I can say I had this issue in my childhood. I was given that. I'm going to boast in my weakness. I had struggles, but don't we all have struggles? I'm not minimizing a child, a child who's been sexually abused. But we have things in our past that have been difficult. The Christian counselee really has to come to look straight up at the love of God. These women sometimes feel they cannot be loved by God. They might think they're not even loved by a husband one day. I'm tarnished. I'm dirty. But as we teach them Romans 8, you go through Romans 8, 
slowly, verse by verse, what does it mean? God's love is on you. His forgiveness. His, his care for you. Even as a child you didn't feel cared for, he does care for you. See the grace of God. The free gift of God. Eternal life which has been given to us. Freedom. And some may also have trouble understanding the honor Christ gives. 1 Peter 2, 9-10, through 10, You are a chosen race. And she might say, not me. A royal priesthood. What's royal about me? Holy nation. I'm not holy. People of his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies, this is your purpose in life, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. And I recommend Glenda's story. Anybody read this? This makes you cry, doesn't it? Glenda wrote this story of just the most horrific childhood sexual abuse she went through. And it was Elizabeth Elliot who came into her life and brought her from that place of just the most crushed, broken little girl to a place where she was a beautiful bride, had children, and ended up writing this story, which is so touching, but it's a story I've given to counselees who've been through childhood sexual abuse. And the woman said, Oh, do you have any more books like this? <laughs> she wanted that hope that comes from a new life in Christ. So, we also say, okay, our counseling needs to cultivate the mind of Christ. Instead of going through whatever therapy, whatever talk they've been given, instead, Philippians 3, 8 through 11, indeed I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them as rubbish, in order that I may gain Christ, and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own, that comes from the law, so we're teaching grace, forgiveness, but that righteousness which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection, and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection of the dead. And so you can take, you can say, you may put your past in its place. And I love the verse that Eileen Scipione gave us in our last workshop, Philippians 3, 13 through 14. One thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of Christ Jesus our Lord. And Revelation 21.5, he who is seated on the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. So, the Christian counselee can gain victory, and she's in the same category as the rest of us. 2 Corinthians 4, 7 through 10, we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, 
struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our body. I met with a girl who had terrible sexual abuse, and I met her right before she was married, and she went into her marriage wearing a white dress virgin bride, knowing she's a new creature in Christ. So, we can't leave our girl there. We're also going to say, this is your opportunity now to be a servant to others. Okay? Isn't that what Jesus did? He gave himself for us, and now let's go serve. Let's serve. Even uh, Joseph said, Genesis 50:20. but as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. Two, basically serve, to bring about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. First Peter 4.10, as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's very grace. Some of these women will become biblical counselors. And they can come and sit down with a girl or even a little boy and say, God has really helped me. And I can tell you how he helped me. Those are the counselors we want. People who have been victorious in saying, it's God's grace. So I'll end with 1 Corinthians 1, 4 through 9. Prayer for all of us. I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus that in every way you were enriched in him in all speech and all knowledge, even as a testimony about Christ was confirmed among you, so that you are not lacking any spiritual gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will sustain you to the end, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful, by whom you are called into the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the many people who have written resources on this subject. A lot of them recently, a lot of them in the past few years. People serving in organizations to help children, help women who have been sexually abused. Women men, women, men and who work in the district attorney's office who prosecute offenders. We do thank you that those who have had these trials in life can become victorious and become servants and greatly used by you. In Jesus' name, amen. Copyright 2014, IBCD. All rights reserved. More free resources are available at www.ibcd.org.